So I'm Pastor Casey. If you don't know me, I haven't been here in a whole month, so if you just started coming in the last few weeks, you probably don't know who I am. So it's good to be back here at Redeemer City again. The other day I was watching this thing on polar bears, and I was talking about these polar bears, and when they're kept in captivity for too long, they have a, a really hard time acclimating to their natural habitat once again. Um, and if they are born in captivity, it's, it's almost impossible for them to survive. And the reason for that is because when they are young, they are trained by their mothers in order to be, um, have the skills to be able to survive in the cold and how to hunt and fish and everything else. So I was thinking about like lions, and I've, I've seen the same thing probably on National, uh, what is it called? National Geographic, whatever it's called. Uh, back in the day when you actually used to watch those shows, and now you got Netflix, so you, you don't watch those shows anymore. But like lions are the same kind of way. Like if, if they're separated from their pride for too long, they're often rejected, even by their own family members. And this got me thinking, like the season that we are coming out of, like when everybody's just in this like hibernation, everybody's in isolation, that once we've come out of this again, I think the struggle might be a how to do community well again. Like, what does that look like? When you've been living in your own bubble for the last year and a half, to be able to come out of it and be around other people, do we know how to do Christian community well? We've been in a series of Madison Multiply, and if you don't know what Madison Multiply is, we have a church plant network in Madison. Uh, it's the Vine Church, and then us, Redeemer City. If you don't know where you are today, you're in Redeemer City. And then Eastside Church. And we've been doing this preaching series that we do every summer in August, and it's been a lot of fun to go around and, and visit uh, these other churches and have these other pastors in our churches as well. But we've been going through this series in Romans 12 called Life Together. And this is the basic idea of, of we need to come around this idea of what Romans 12 teaches and remember how to do community with each other once again. So a little disclaimer here. Um, this we, we put these in random order because we can't schedule it out in the order they should be preached. And this uh, sermon this morning actually works really well on the sermon that Pastor Nate is going to preach. Uh, only you guys haven't got that yet. Um, so it might be a little bit weird. This is almost like the application of what Nate is going to preach here next week. And what Nate is going to preach is that uh, earlier in Romans 12 that we're to love one another. And we're, we're called to this, this not shallow or fake love, but we are called to a genuine love, to really genuinely love and live with one another in community. So what you're getting is you're kind of getting like the bigger application part of that. We're almost putting the cart before the horse, but I think we're going to be okay with that. But here's my concern about this message and something I've been wrestling with for a while. Um, if you're anything like me, like when I live the rest of the week outside of this church, like I am constantly confronted with like my image of like you got to look this certain way or I'm, I'm tempted to fall into this, this kind of comfort or security and I need to be constantly reminded of the gospel and God's grace. And my concern is that if you've experienced this all week, what you're getting this morning is a bunch of exhortation. And I love exhortation in the Bible. But this is just heavy on exhortation this morning. 
So by the time we get to the end, I'm going to bring back the good news of the gospel and tie that in so that we know actually what like our attitude and our demeanor should be for actually living this out in life. But at the beginning of the sermon, you're going to notice like it is just exhortation heavy. It's like indicative. You're not going to hear a lot of that till the end. You're going to get a lot of imperatives in the beginning of the sermon. So where we pick up Romans 12 this morning is we get in light of the gospel... If you truly love one another, put your money where your mouth is. That's really what Paul's saying here. If you genuinely love one another, this is how you should live with one another. And we've summed this up into two words this morning, and it's just humble fellowship. Just this idea of humble fellowship. And what Paul talks about here is both the actions and the attitudes of a genuine loving community. If we're going to truly love one another and live like the church, these are the actions and the attitude that we need to be able to do that. So we're going to start with the actions. I told you we're going to start with imperatives. So let's just jump right in here. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So this first point, a genuine loving community meets the needs of one another. In other words, if we're really going to love each other, we can't hoard our own resources. We can't do this, this stockpile of, of the things that God has blessed us with, but we need to share them with those that might be in need. Because a genuine Christian community, if we truly love one another, is generous and not selfish with our resources. And I want to pause there for a moment because sometimes when we read passages like this or we read the beginning of Acts, it's like, what is this, like a call to communism? And this is not communism in any means, but what this is, is this is a call to generosity. This is a call to look at everything that you have received, whether that's your house, your time, your money, just all your resources, to look at that and say, where does this come from? You acknowledge where it comes from, and then you acknowledge what it's supposed to be used for. I want to look at that being, being generous with our resources. There are many roadblocks that might prevent us from this kind of generosity, but I really want to hit on one because I think it's probably the biggest one that we deal with just as humans and probably just being Americans and where we live in this world. And, and that's this thing that, like, these are my resources. This is my money. This belongs to me. And we kind of hold on to these things with a tight clenched fist, like kind of white knuckle these things, and we have a hard time just surrendering them and being generous. You know, oftentimes when our kids are young, uh, you know, you got to teach them to share, right? Because they, they gather together with the kids from the neighborhood or especially their own siblings and they're playing with toys and the thing you hear out of their mouth the most is mine, right? I just had to have a conversation with my, my girls a couple weeks ago where they were fighting over these toys and like somehow ownership because this was bought for me on my birthday. You can't play with it. And I had to sit them all down, and I, I sat both girls down, and I explained to them, like, you don't understand, like, everything you have is mine. No, I didn't, I didn't tell them that. I didn't tell them that. That's what I, I say when I'm, I'm living in sin. But I had to explain to them, like, everything you have has been given to you for a purpose. And God calls us to share those things. You know, we, we get this concept when we're talking about children, but yet sometimes we become adults, and we still live the same kind of way, don't we? 
we still live that same kind of way where, where this, is, this is mine and, and I, I find myself crying out mine a lot as well. I know just even in my, my own house when you have four kids who are still pretty young and you own a home and sometimes you like to have nice things and sometimes you say to yourself, this is why we can't have nice things. Because you walk into a room and you're like, why are there goldfish smashed all into the cushions of, the, of my couch, right? Or you'll go into the other room and you'll see paint spilled on the carpet. And you're like, why is there paint spilled on my carpet? Or fingernail polish or permanent markers on, the, on my wall. We claim these things. We take possession over these things as if they are mine and other people might destroy them or use them in a way that we don't prefer. And I want to say, like, everything that you have, like, God has given it to you for your enjoyment. He has given it to you for your enjoyment, but it is never at the expense of his glory or at the expense of helping others with it. I found that unless we actually have a plan to be generous with our resources, that it's often really difficult to do. You can't think like, well, later on, you know, someday if somebody asks, you know, maybe we'll think about it and pray about, like, if you don't have a plan to be generous with what God has given to you, it is really hard to do. And one of my heroes of the faith, Eugene Peterson, he paraphrases this verse as, be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. And I love that because it's, it's be alert, like be cheerfully expectant. If we've been given these resources, like look for opportunities to be able to use that, to be able to bless others that might be in need. So here's an idea, if we need to have a better plan. In the Old Testament, God had plans in place that would protect uh, the poor or the sojourners or those in need, and one of those processes was called gleaning. And if you remember this from early on, like Pentateuch time, where God would instruct if you were a farmer to leave the edges of your field unharvested. Like just leave them, like harvest, harvest the whole part over here, but leave the edges unharvested. And the whole idea was that if you were poor or hungry or you were a sojourner that was passing through, that you could just go to the edges of these fields and pick wheat or whatever that crop was, and you could make bread or you could, you could feed yourself and care for yourself. God had a provision for the poor. Now, unfortunately, in our culture, we have been trained, especially here in the West, that we are to be extremely busy. Like, if you walk up to somebody on the street and say, how you doing? Oh, well, busy, busy, busy. Or we spend money that we don't have. We get into debt up our eyeballs. And what we've done is we have not created any kind of margins whatsoever. We live in a culture that says no margins. As a matter of fact, we're not going to leave the edges of our field. Let's us go into our, our neighbor's field and, and pick what they have as well. We're up to our eyeballs. We have no margins whatsoever. So my challenge to you this morning is if we have been given resources by God to be able to use to bless others that those might be in need, what would it look like for us to leave the margins of our fields unharvested? To leave margins for others that might be in need. You know, I was thinking of maybe like 
a Dave Ramsey thing, you know, he does this envelope system and there's a lot of finance people that do that where you have your, your money that you're gonna spend on your bills and you have your money that you're gonna spend on, on vacation and car and you have all these envelopes and then you have one of like, this is to give away, this is to either tithe to the church or to bless others with. My kids have these little piggy banks with three different com compartments and one is for spending, one is for saving, and one is for giving. And we say, like, you can give to the church or you can give it to somebody else in need, but we train them when they're young to be able to set that compartment aside, leave the margins of their fields available so that other people might be able to use them. So what would it look like to leave the margins of your field available to bless others in need? So a little motivation in this, since this is just an exhortation here. We have a God who richly provides for us. I mean, if, if you're in this room, it means that you're American and you are wealthy beyond belief. Most of you have a house for your car. Um, we, we are wealthy. If we don't set a time or money to bless others, you're probably not going to fit that easily into your calendar or your budget, so we need to look to God who is our motivation and he provides all things. And 1 Timothy 6.17 says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What this verse is saying is that if you find yourself wealthy, and, and you should, do not be haughty. And we're going we're gonna to hit this word haughty in a little bit because it's in our passage as well. Do not be haughty. And this is, this is a word um, we'll, we'll um, unpack a little bit later. But God is generous with us. God has provided with us greatly. And the call here is to live in a loving community who provides each other's needs. No one should struggle in the church if there are people in the church that have been blessed with that resource because we're called to contribute. We're called to lift each other up. We're, we're called to provide and love and care for one another because that's what a Christian community does. And we get this because God has been extremely generous with us. So by very nature, we are generous with others as well. All right, the second part of this, like Paul extends this um, towards our homes for his glory as well. And I'm going to breeze over this a little bit because I feel like that kind of fits in pretty good with our, our resources. But the very idea of hospitality is that it is a love for the stranger. You know, sometimes we think about blessing with our resources and we think of like, oh yeah, this person who's in my small group who I've been doing life with for the last year and a half, but this is for the person that, that comes in that is maybe newer to the community or the person that sits not over here where you sit every Sunday, but over on this side. Like, we have a love for the stranger. That's what hospitality is. And in Paul's context, a lot of that was being hospitable was when Paul would travel around and they would put him up in a house and provide a warm meal for him or a cold meal. I don't know what they cooked. I don't want to judge the cooks in that house. 
but it was providing for the missionaries and those who were preaching the gospel just to open up their house and provide a place for them to stay so the gospel could still go forth. Redeemer City, you do a great job of this. I've witnessed this well. I remember a few years ago when we had our partners from Guatemala up, they bounced around from different homes where they, they stayed and then got cars to use and got carted all over the city so they could get to know us and his community. We had our partners from North Africa were here recently and I know they stayed with people in the beginning and then at the very end they stayed with one of our families and even with a baby and two rambunctious kids, there were people who still hosted them. And even when their flight got pushed back three days, the family, maybe with a little clenched fist, still opened up their house for those that family. This may seem like a challenge for you. Like maybe you don't have the space to be able to do that, but let me just start at something simple. Like maybe this is just hosting a city group in your home. Just inviting others in to be able to share what God has provided for you. Maybe this is hosting uh, somebody who's new to town or somebody who's single and, and lonely, who wants to be part of a family and, and more community. Whatever that looks like, we are called to be hospitable to others. Again, I, I think Peterson is helpful here. He says, be inventive in hospitality. I love that. I'm an innovation kind of guy, so be inventive for hospitality. What would that look like for you? Maybe it's something completely different that I just mentioned, but it is something where you're sharing your resources of a home with those who might have a need for a roof over their head and a warm meal. So Paul exhorts us to use our physical resources that God has blessed us with in order to bless others, but Paul goes even bigger than that. If you thought this was big, I feel like this next part is even a bigger and more challenging thing. Um, look at verse 15. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. So the first call is that of a physical resource. The second call is that of an emotional resource. And sometimes those emotional resources are even harder to share. You know, Christian community is on full display when we empathize with one another when we pick up those who are broken and walk alongside of others, when we weep with those who are weep. This is just simply putting on their shoes. Even if you've never been through this situation, if you've never had a miscarriage, if you've never had your parent die, um, whatever that might be, it's, it's just putting on their shoes and being a shoulder to cry on and, and a, an ear to listen and just loving them and walking through this season with them. It's weeping with those who weep. But on the flip side of that is rejoice with those who rejoice. That probably sounds, at first blush, a lot easier, right? Like, oh, I get to step in and rejoice. And I would argue that that is probably even harder than the first one. Let me just give you a few examples. I know that in our church, we've had families in our church that have had a hard time getting pregnant. And when you are struggling and praying for a, a child and you want to grow your family and you are in a church plant, when people just drink the water out of the fountain and they're pregnant, it's really hard to just keep seeing this announcement of another person pregnant again. 
you add in families like ours who were not even looking to get pregnant, and then surprise, and you're thinking, God, here I am, like we are praying and we are pleading with you to please give us a child, and now you have families that don't even want children that are getting more children. But the call here is to rejoice with those who rejoice. How hard is that? To put away your pain and just throw it to the other side to be able to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And it goes beyond that. I know we have people in our church that desire to get married, and there's other single people who have journeyed in this church that have found a spouse and got married, and you're always going to this, this new wedding, but you might not even have somebody you're dating right now. And that's hard. But it's learning to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's, it's missing out on the promotion and somebody else always getting. And it, it's something that you don't have that somebody else gets. And you rejoice with them even though you might be in pain at that moment. So we're called to rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And I love how Paul just kind of ties up this. He says, live in harmony with one another. I don't think this is a new command. I think this is just looking back at everything he's just said. And when you do this, there is a sense of harmony. You know, like more like the worship team up here and probably not like the section where I was singing with some other people. It is this harmony where your voices are singing together. And when we do these things, when we take on our physical resources and bless those who might need them. When we enter in emotionally with other people, it is harmony. Live in harmony with one another. Before we move on to this next part, like, Paul doesn't just say pull up your bootstraps and get to work, does he? It's not just our actions that Paul addresses here, but it's our attitude as well, like where that actually comes from. What is our motivation? What is our, our attitude of living in community? Look at verse 16, and this is the second part of that. It says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I said I get to haughty. Haughty is not a word we use very often, is it? I don't know if I've ever used it in a sentence before, other than if I'm actually preaching something that has haughty in it. And if you're younger in here, no, it is not a word to describe somebody who is attractive. This has a different meaning altogether. Haughty means arrogantly superior. And I love um, James. He preached here the first week, and I listened to his message. And if you remember, he uses this illustration of religion where religion is kind of your arms folded looking down your nose at other people. And this is, this is haughty. Like religion has this, this arrogance of being haughty or superior or being higher than other people. So if we live haughty lives, we are prideful, arrogant, superior, conceited, snobbish, stuck up, pompous, self-important, selfish people who will not be able to associate with people, especially those who are downcast, which is what Paul's calling us to do here. We'll say things like, oh, they're poor because they're lazy or Maybe that person should have taken better care of themselves and they wouldn't be in this spot. Or if they wanted help, they should have just asked. If we are haughty, harmony in the church is impossible. You've probably heard that pride is the ultimate roadblock to Christian unity. And Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, 
but humility comes before honor. True love and fellowship requires the opposite of haughty. If we're really going to love in true community with one another, like the Bible teaches us, if we're really going to live as a Christian community, it is the opposite of haughty, which is humility. It's counting others better than yourself. It's just living out of this posture of great humility. And if you read the first 11 chapters of Romans, and we have preached through almost all of those leading up to that, we see that coming into all these exhortations is this whole buildup of God's grace. This is all about God's grace in this. So you can't ever take these exhortations apart from God's grace, because without grace, what Paul writes in chapter 12 is impossible, because grace leads to humility. Who can be prideful knowing that their salvation is not their own, but has been purchased by Christ on the cross? Who can think of themselves better than others when we know that you can do nothing to earn your salvation and you can do nothing to add to it? Who can hold their physical and emotional resources tightly and cry mine when you see all that Christ has done for us, setting aside his own comfort and security to go to the cross for us? And when you realize this, humility naturally follows. This is our attitude. Humility. Humility. In Philippians 2.5, Paul wrote to have this attitude among yourselves. But then I'm going to read this whole chapter because it gives us the context of what he actually means by that. Philippians 2, verse 1 through verse 8. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. There's harmony. You're going to see a lot of this harmony in here because this isn't just written for you. This is written for the Christian community and what the community is supposed to live like. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Harmony. Having the same love, harmony, being in full accord and of one mind, harmony. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. There's that haughtiness. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. There's caring for their needs, sharing your resources. Let each of you look not only at his own interest, but also the interest of others. There it is. Caring for others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Together, as a Christian community, We are humble because of Jesus. We can be humble because of Jesus. You know, this is why we look at the gospel over and over and over again. You will never hear a sermon preached here ever that does not go back to the gospel because we need to constantly go back there because it reminds us of our posture that when you come to the cross, you can bring nothing to it. We need Jesus. There's a posture of humility when we see our need 
for Jesus. And we can be humbled because we have a humble Savior. On his deathbed, it is said that Martin Luther uttered the words, We are sin battler, das ist war. And if you can speak German, you realize by what I just said that I cannot speak German. I probably butchered that. I, I might look like I can speak German, but I cannot. I remember several years ago I was working with MTV and we were in Germany and we were following along a band who was recording in, in Germany and we had this whole team that looked very American, but for some reason everybody came up to me and started speaking German. Like not anybody else in our group, only, only me. And I'm like, I'm Norwegian, but if you think I can speak German, let's, let's go for it. And there was one time where a guy like walked out of a bar and walked up to me and started speaking German and uh, I only knew like one word that I could use in a, a sentence, and that was ja. That was it, like the one word, which is like yup, or, or yes in, in German. And uh, he just talked for like a minute, and I just said ja, and he laughed his head off, and I laughed my head off, and then he kept talking, and I said ja, and he laughed again, and I laughed my head off. And of course, everybody in my group is laughing their head off even more. And this guy thinks he's hilarious, but they're laughing not at him, but because they know I don't know, have any idea what he's saying. So I can't speak German, but on his deathbed, Martin Luther scribbled, we are sinned battler, das ist war, which means we are all beggars. This is true. Of course, this could go back to something he said earlier in his life, which is we are all mere beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. We are no better than anyone else. The very nature of the gospel is we can't earn it. We don't even deserve it. But yet it's been given to us. We come into the gospel. We stand face to face with the gospel. Look at it. You have to have this posture of I'm just a beggar. That is all I am. And I'm just begging for this salvation and this, this good news that comes from Jesus. And of course we get that in John 6.35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Church, we come to the cross with nothing to offer, seeking only what God can give. We are all spiritual beggars, but God has blessed us with the bread of life. And for those who receive Jesus, they will be spiritually nourished forever. When we share our physical resources with others, we are showing other beggars where to find bread. When we enter emotionally with others in their joy or sorrow, we are showing other beggars where to find bread. We are all beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. Church, as we go from here this week, let's remember to be a community of love. To be a community that humbly loves and cares for one another just like God has done for us through Jesus. So let's pray. God, we want to enter in with you, and we want to have this posture of humility. I know that we live in a culture where it is easy to upstage others, to get up on our high horse, to look down at others' positions, how they might have gotten to a place of trouble, 
But we are Jesus followers. We cannot have this spirit, Lord. So I just pray that you would help us to have that posture of humility as we look at your grace, as we look at the gospel, as we look at Jesus, so that we might love others, even the downcast, even the lowly. And we might be generous. God, you have been generous with us. Help us to be generous with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.